All right. Here we go. Man, Draymond Green says he isn't worried about the game one loss. Al Horford becomes Ray Allen in Chase Center. And Darvin Ham officially becomes the head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers. I'm Rosa Panza. This is the Clinic All-NBA Podcast. I have the three hooligans with me. JJ, how you living, my friend? Yeah, I'm feeling all right. I'm <laughs> definitely not feeling like KD right now. KD must be super happy, dude. Yeah, you're absolutely right. John, how you living, my friend? I'm not even a Warriors fan, and I'm also down, too. Come on, guys. Good to be here, though. <laughs> Sammy, how you living? I'm great. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm doing all right, but I'm, I'm feeling freer for you guys after that rough fourth quarter. Man, absolutely. And speaking of that game, the Golden State Warriors fall to the Boston Celtics 120 to 108. This game started out with Steph Curry doing Steph Curry things. He ends up hitting like six threes in just the first quarter. And then that fourth quarter happens where the Boston Celtics were down 92 to 78. Bruh. There was a 40 to 16 disparity in that quarter where the Boston Celtics end up winning. I'm going to ask the, the neutral party here, Sammy first. Get over here! Sammy, how did the Boston Celtics crawl their way out with a win? Well, so like you said, the, everything changed in the fourth quarter. Steph had six threes in the first and then ended up, I believe, with one or two the rest of the game. So they made some adjustments there, but let's get to the fourth quarter because that's obviously where this game flipped. So Boston opens the fourth quarter seven to seven from deep. Uh, as Draymond talked about uh, post game, a lot of that was behind players you wouldn't necessarily expect. Jalen Brown was great in the fourth, but then you look at Derek White was hitting everything. Horford ended up nine of 12 in this game. Smart ended up with 18 points, four of seven from deep. To me, what it looked like is the Warriors had a specific plan to give shots to certain players, but they sagged off the three-point line way too much. So we know Boston hit 21 of 41 from deep, which we would all assume is unsustainable, and on some levels it is. But if you look at a lot of those threes, they were just open shots. You had plays where Steph was playing a little too far back, Draymond was playing way too far back on Horford, and you just, these shots were available. So I would anticipate the adjustment there. Uh, on the other side of the ball, what it looked like to me is the Celtics started to downsize in the fourth and they got way more aggressive with on-ball switching. They, they weren't letting a lot of the backdoor cuts and things that normally occur happen. And they pretty much gave Draymond any shot he wanted in the fourth. Unfortunately, Draymond did greatly struggle. I believe he finished two for 12. So it just looked like Boston overall offensively defensively got a lot more aggressive and the Warriors particularly defensively looked a lot more passive to me true and Boston also shot well but they shot well because good shots were available and they weren't being contested hard enough uh -huh. what are your thoughts guys well this is I was sort of like in the underbelly of uh, Boston Celtics, like Reddit, just because I was curious what was being said. I'm gonna, I'm gonna point this question to John here. They were saying that this was one of the biggest collapses that they've seen in a playoffs since Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal what took down the Portland Trail Blazers and Scottie Pippen in that game. 
Would you agree with that statement? No, I would not. Well, maybe the biggest sense then, but it does not eclipse the collapse that the Blazers had against the Lakers just because of the how big that game was. It was game seven. Yep. It was literally the game that you had to win to make the finals. This is just game one. But in terms of recent memory, that's probably accurate. I mean, we're talking about a 12-point lead that the Warriors had going into the fourth quarter. And like you said, a 40-16 to 16 run. And I still honestly, I'm trying to wrap my head around how it happened. And my only logical explanation is that Kevin Durant had a voodoo doll of <laughs> Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Draymond Green and he was just poking it poking it all throughout the fourth quarter <laughs> no I mean it clearly the three-pointer the three-point shots I think are, are the difference here but looking at the stats they didn't they made 21 threes the Celtics and the Warriors made 19 so there wasn't a huge disparity I mean the Celtics were just making timely timely shots and a lot of it had to do with their ball movement. A lot of right. some of it, like Sammy said, had to do with the Warriors defense. They were just scrambling. And the Warriors are elite defensively as a team, but they do have weak defensive players, some of them, namely Jordan Poole. Draymond actually didn't play that great defense, if I remember. And Clay, understandably so, is the same defender that he was. Jalen Brown was actually taking to getting past him multiple times. But Jalen Brown is a great player, so you know, no fault to Clay, but there are a lot of things, like Sammy said, that the Warriors can clean up and, and mistakes that they can uh, mitigate for game two. And I think they'll be OK. I, I think the Warriors will win game two. And this is going to be a lot closer. Series. I mean, for anybody, I know we were making jokes, especially me, that the Warriors were going to dominate this series. But I don't think I, I obviously didn't believe that. But and I, and I think a lot of people don't. We always thought this was going to be a close series. And the Celtics won game one. I mean, it's happened multiple times in the past. I don't think there's any reason at this point to be worried. But Tatum did shoot three for 17. Come on. Was a, he was still a plus 16 because he had 13 assists. He was distributing the ball. But this, the Warriors stopped Tatum, their best player, but let everybody else go off. So that's definitely not a recipe for success. So right. I think that there are things that the Warriors can clean up. And I think they will clean it up. But... So I'm gonna I'm taking the Warriors in game two. So I'm gonna throw it back to you guys, or at least the Warrior fans. What are your thoughts on this game? Trying to be as objective and impartial as possible. <laughs> you know, I, I'm actually gonna toss a couple questions at JJ here. JJ, I, I wanna know, like I think JJ's having some technical difficulties right now, actually. But I wanted to sort of ask JJ, when did he feel comfortable? during this game also when did he feel the tides turn and you know i'm gonna ask you guys instead when was okay. the moment that you guys felt like this game was completely shifting towards uh, boston's favor was it a particular play was it a particular moment or was it a particular shot what was it for me i i'm trying to remember the player it might have been Derek white but there was a point where someone hit a three to either bring it within two or tie it, and you could feel the air go out of the building. And normally when teams make huge comebacks like that, it feels like once they tie the game, it's almost like the balloon goes out a little bit because they worked so hard to get it up to that point, right? Right. But Boston, because they're so well coached and 
Maybe also because they almost blew game seven themselves against Miami. Seemed like yeah. they knew they had to continue on. It was like they had this leftover energy from knowing that they had barely held on against Miami and knew they had to keep pushing forward. But for me, it was around that point. I think it was when it hit either 97s or 94-92 that I remember thinking like it was getting close, but I kept I kept feeling that someone would hit that big shot, Clay or Steph or somebody, and it just never came. So that was it for me. Yeah, for me, it was uh, at the end of the third quarter, Jalen Brown started to just get aggressive and more aggressive and attacking the rim. And it seemed like the Warriors weren't ready for that type of energy. And I want to I want to credit Jalen Brown and say that he was pretty much the spark plug that started that fourth quarter comeback. And it just so happens that Al Horford and Derek White could not miss from three in that fourth quarter. I think on three points alone, or three-pointers alone in that quarter, they were nine for 12. From downtown! Which is absolutely ridiculous. And this was a team that actually struggled in clutch time during the season. They weren't a very good clutch team. So for them to go on a run where the quarter ends up being 40 to 16, that is absolutely crazy. This series is going to be like, almost like a test of wills, dude. Because mm -hmm. any one of these teams have now proven that they could go on a run. like. Boston sort of did what the Warriors are so used to doing to other teams. It's almost like they got a taste of their own medicine. Correct. Right. And I think the thing that we do have to keep in mind, not to be a, a downer on the Warriors fan side at all, is I do not anticipate Horford and Derek White in particular to shoot that well again. I also don't think Tatum's going to shoot nearly that poorly either, though. And I don't think that's being stated enough. Did they play right. good defense on him? In a sense, yes. But he's still one of the best five to 10 players in the league. He's not shooting three for 17 every game. So I would expect him to bounce back. And to his credit, like you guys talked about earlier, his shot was off, he knew it, and he came out and ended up having 13 assists. That's a credit to him understanding that his role in that game was a facilitator, particularly in the fourth quarter when I think Brown had 10 and five in the fourth. And he knew Brown was the hot hand and he kept feeding him. He didn't try to take over the game. He understood where the offense was flowing. So credit to Tatum on that. But I do think that that's, that we need to not understate the fact that we're going to anticipate him to shoot a lot better than he did in this game too. Yo, I'm just glad that Tatum didn't rock the 24 Kobe Bryant armband yesterday because <laughs> he's playing more like Smush Parker than Kobe Bryant. Bonafide scrub. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I'm, I'm gonna give a crazy stat about Jalen Brown right now. He is averaging over 60% on his twos and threes in the fourth quarter and is also the point leader in fourth quarters during the playoffs this year. Wow. wow. So I did not know that. That's impressive. Jalen Brown, dude, like he is sneakily a fourth quarter performer. Um, also, something I didn't quite expect that I think the Warriors can find some comfort in is that Peyton Pritchard actually had a really good game. And if you guys can't, like, don't remember from our last pod, I actually kind of dissed him because he wasn't even part of that list of X factors that I that I called out. I was like, oh yeah, Peyton Pritchard didn't make the list for X factors, but he totally was this game. So and credit to Adoka for that too, because what they what Adoka I think ended up doing was Grant Williams only played 16 minutes in this game. 
clearly he spotted that going with these two small guard lineups. He went with a mix a lot of one of White, Smart, and Pritchard. They were mixed together. They were playing two of the three a lot in the fourth quarter when he went small. Right. And that Pritchard was playing three, four minutes a game against Miami. So clearly he saw an opening where Pritchard made more sense. And I think we were all shocked by that. I didn't expect to see him out there as much as we did. And he had a couple threes in that quarter too. So yeah, it's a sign that this is going to be a great coaching chess match, I think. Derek White had more minutes than Marcus Smart. <clears throat> what? I did yeah. not. <clears throat> I did not think that was going to happen at yeah. all. Derek and, White, man, coming out of nowhere. Yeah. What a Absolutely. game. Absolutely. Absolutely, plus 25, led all players in plus minus. Bad boy. Absolutely crazy. Let's get to the Golden State Warriors side. And hopefully JJ has his uh, technical difficulties uh, resolved here. I'm good. I'm good. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yeah, we got you. We got you now. Smoke weed every day. I think it's kind of ironic that JJ's just whole setup goes down while we're talking (laughs) about Boston. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> he yeah. comes he, in he, just he, in time. He, he to wanted talk to about completely avoid. He completely wanted to avoid this topic as <laughs> much as possible. Yeah, we're still talking about yeah. it. <laughs> KJ, what I wanted to throw at you now that you're back, I wanted to ask you when was like the moment where you felt this game shift, where for the most part the Warriors controlled this game, and then all of a sudden there was a shift. Was there a play? Was there a shot? Was there something that happened that you were like, something doesn't smell right here? Hate it. Well, the fourth quarter started with the Celtics big three with Tatum and Brown. And for whatever reason, and I know we've talked about this multiple times, Kerr stubborn with his rotations. And we've lost the second and fourth quarter leads because of the rotations. You can't have Paul, you can't have Iggy on the court at the same time with Looney and Draymond. And that's when it all collapsed. True. But I guess when I lost faith was when Steph came in. It was already eight minutes, nine minutes into the quarter. Uh, and there we were only up by five. And they already had the momentum shifted towards their favor. And when Horford started to make his threes while Draymond was sagging, like Sammy was saying, it didn't look good. And it just kept on coming. He's on fire! Over and over and over again. And it got to a point where it was just like, Poole was just getting beat off the point of attack. And once he gets beat, people collapse. And once they collapse, you kick out and it's an open three. Talk to him. Do you guys think it's an overreaction to say that Jordan Poole might play himself out of this series at some point? Oh my! No, it's not an overreaction. Because you think it's possible? It's, well, you have to remember during the Grizzly series, he played the first two games great. Same with the Nugget series. First two games great. They shifted and strategized against Jordan Poole and he became, I don't want to say non-factor, but he wasn't scoring 20 or 30s again. Yeah, and, right. and for him to be not a net neutral or a net negative, he's going to have to score in bunches because his defense is poor and he makes some ill-advised mistakes sometimes because he is young, he's only 22, so he has a lot of upside. But again, if he's not scoring a lot, then there is a good chance that he's going to be a net negative on the on the floor. And, you know, Steve Kerr might not have a an option at that point. Rejected! But if you pull him, no pun intended. Um, oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> I actually didn't even mean that. Ever since you became a dad, dynamic. Sammy, I'm sorry. <laughs> Ever since you became a dad, the, those jokes started coming in. I've been prepping them for years prior, even. Uh, but the 
when I look at the Warriors roster, and maybe I can kick this back to the Warrior fans here on this podcast, I feel like the shooting is either extremely high level or there's non-shooters on the floor. So looking at Looney, Draymond, this version of Iggy is not much of a shooter anymore. So if you take Poole out, like if you put him on that short leash, are you hoping that Moody or Lee steps into his place? Are you planning on just giving more minutes to Porter? And in that scenario, are you putting so much pressure on Steph and Clay to be just elite shooters with what's going to be swarming defense the whole time because everyone else is going to get sagged off except for maybe Wiggins? Are you putting yourself in a position where you're almost behind the ball to start? What do you guys think on on that front? What's the move if you do give Poole a short leash? I I think you have to play the defense first. Yeah. You gotta you gotta force Tatum to score forty, and let everyone not do their job. We've done that in the previous series. You had Jokic go off for forty, stop everybody else. John Morant, same thing. Let John Morant score forty. Same thing with Luca. You can't have Horford. Pritchard, any of Derek White, all these people go off for points. Yes, like, sir. That's inexcusable, especially for the finals. And the Warriors have an MO where they have three pointers open. Mm-hmm. It's guard, guard the paint, collapse the paint, guard the paint, protect the house. They might have to switch it up this time. I don't think that works in the series. I agree with you. And I, I do think to what you're saying, the heart and soul of the defense, would we all agree on this is Draymond? Yeah, and I expect Draymond. I I would anticipate the adjustment potentially being that Draymond opens on Jalen Brown. He should. In game I'm, two. I would agree with that strongly. Clay on Horford, and yes. let Draymond just go and be the soul of the defense. Obviously, the only concern you have there is if he gets in foul trouble. But I, I think the defensive effort is going to be lights out in game two, based on how this game ended. And so that's why I wanted to ask in regards to pull. What's the adjustment there? I do believe it starts at the defensive end, but if he does not have a good series, I, I really think it puts them in a tough spot. I, I think you might have to. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I, I think as much as, you know, you would like to bench him if he's playing poorly, they don't really have many alternatives as it currently stands. But maybe they play zone. They have to try to find a way to hide his weakness as a man-to-man defender and kill a lot of that penetration and what JJ was saying is when you penetrate defense collapses you're able to kick it out for the open three you can swing the ball and the Celtics were getting open look after open look after open look you have to stop penetration and zone is one of those ways you can maybe do that oh is, is this was this a game like an isolated isolated incident where the Celtics just went off and the Warriors just had a bad fourth quarter or is this a foreshadow of what's to come if the Warriors don't, well, 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 do the necessary changes. Uh, I, I would find it very, I would be very surprised if the Celtics shot this well again. But that's not to say that they can continue to shoot, you know, a fraction of this, which is maybe enough. I think it's a combination of things. Celtics are getting open looks. They're all good shooters, actually. They have bigs that can shoot the ball. Grant Williams could shoot the ball. He didn't really make any threes yesterday, but... Al Horford could obviously shoot shoot the three ball. I mean, 
they're a tough team. They can shoot, they can defend, they're long, they're lank, lanky, and you know, the Warriors just need to be on their A game. And they, they had too many lapses yesterday. Yeah, and a, a big yeah, part of it is that, like, I feel like Jordan Poole was one of the few times, like, he's one of the best, like, irrational confidence guys that I've seen during this this playoffs. But this, this moment, the finals moment, seemed to, like a little too big for him. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know what happened to his confidence exactly, but Steph and Draymond and Klay Thompson need to get in his ear for game two because Jordan Poole has, like, 15 points. This is a lot more, like, this is more tightly contested, right? Um, and maybe that fourth quarter run doesn't happen. And I'm also going to say that that was a historic fourth quarter. Like, that's why I think this might be a one-off. I feel like this game would have finished a lot tighter than 120 to 108. To give an example, this is the first time in finals history that a team was down double digits at the beginning of the fourth and ended up winning by double digits. Ever. Yeah. I mean, if we're going to go back to NBA history with Send it to the internet. unique game ones, and I'm going to just name drop the Lakers, and John could probably back me up on this. The Lakers had a weird game one against the Sixers with AI, and the Lakers were heavily favored, right? Right. And then the Magic, I don't know if you guys remember when the Magic had a ridiculous amount of threes. They set the record at that time and they won game one. But what do we, what, what happened? The Lakers won that series mm -hmm. as well. So mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's relevant. It's relevant. <laughs> I do think the coaching on both sides of this series is elite. And both of these coaches right. are going to adjust. I know you were saying Kirk can be stubborn, but I don't think he lets that three point barrage happen again. And what we've quickly learned about Udoka is that he's up there, man. He's he's a top five, top ten coach. So I think each of each game in this series, I, I feel like is gonna tell a very unique story. I don't think either team is gonna expect to go back to the well over and over in every game and do the same thing and expect it to work. I, I think this yeah. is gonna be a long chess match between both For sure. both teams. Yeah. And sure. I, I would anticipate that. Maybe we see some, you know, minor rotation changes where maybe, like we were saying, maybe maybe Peyton comes out 10 minutes in game two and then doesn't play game three. Who knows? But I I can't I can't say like after one bad fourth quarter that this is gonna tell the tone for the whole series. Cause you take that fourth quarter out, then everyone probably would have said Warriors in five. One thing know? that stands out to me is that Draymond shot the ball twelve times, which means that they're leaving him open. And he shot two for 12. Like, I know he's not an offensive player. I know he's, that's his, you know, where he lacks as a player, but you can't go two for 12. He had so many bunnies, he had chippies. You have to make those shots if you're open. You, yeah. I mean, he's taken, you gotta take them if you're open. You're an NBA caliber player, but two for 12, it, it's just killer against a team like the Celtics who play elite defense. They're essentially guarding four right. guys on the court when Draymond is on there. And that's a huge liability. So he needs to play better offensively. Credit to the Celtics though, because I'm gonna say eight of those 12 shots were passed to him within the three minutes left on the shot clock. Excuse That's where you gotta have Clay, Paul, Curry, and Wiggins ask for the ball back, man. Right. You yeah. gotta go go past the the defender that's denying the ball. You gotta go get the damn ball. Help! 
Yes, so, it's absolutely basketball right. Basketball 101, off, man. Off of that, this is an adjustment I think might occur, but you guys, let me bounce this off you guys and see. Based on how Boston defends, particularly the perimeter, I have I have a feeling that as good as Looney has been in the playoffs, I don't know how much he and Draymond can play together. And I have a feeling that his minutes are going to go down as the series progresses because they're going to need more shooting against this particular Boston team. So I could see him ending up closer to 20 for the series. Oh, man. Possibly. Only yeah. because... Wow, I'm Mr. Manager. I just don't... It's against a team with this good a defense when Draymond and Looney are out there together you instantly have two non-shooters and I don't know if that's yeah. gonna work against... and then you mix in Andre Iguodala in there too and all of a sudden you have three exactly that's yeah. that's why I keep like to interconnect this to the earlier conversation we had that's why I just don't know if you can take pull out of the rotation here but do you guys see that as a possibility or do you think I'm, I'm looking at this through too much of a very like specific lens? I'm the potty pooper. I, I want to say that the Celtics also don't have a very large rotation and they're going to have to play Robert Williams sometimes. And I yeah, feel you got like 24 minutes continue. Yeah. 24 yeah. Minutes. I, I feel like I feel like you have to match those minutes with size. And the only size that we have is Kevon Looney. So he's at least going to play as many minutes as he does. And I don't think, even though Boston small ball has been very good um, for these playoffs, especially this game one, um, I don't think I don't think they're going to fully commit and go that direction. I think that's the only way Kayvon Looney would be off of the court. Plus, I feel like you need to throw some curveballs. I feel like Kayvon Looney can stay out on Horford. I don't think he should be afraid of a blow by. Mm. by Al Horford. Um, that's just my general feeling. I, I honestly think that Gary Payton Jr.'s health is going to be directly tied into whether or not we could get um, a decent closing five. That closing five to me did not look good against the Celtics closing five last game. And I feel like maybe if we insert GP2 instead of Andre Iguodala... It might be a better choice. I'm I'm not sure. JJ, I see you're shaking your head. Probably not. I'm gonna say GP2 instead of pool. Instead of pool? Yeah. If we're talking about the closing five from the last game, because yeah. I was like yelling at the TV when I saw Korean pull on the floor again. At together. the same time. Right. Yeah. But I understand because he had Draymond and Looney on the floor. So like what Simon was saying. You got to balance that up with offense and defense. Right. Before I mean, we move on to the next topic, can I just say one thing? Yes. The Celtics are three wins away from ruining the summer. <laughs> <laughs> explain yourself, John. Explain yourself there, a little bit. No, there's nothing to explain. If they win three more times in their, in their 18th championship, the summer will be ruined. Yes. John is summer our, vacation uh, is our resident Laker fan here. Summer vacation is canceled for anybody that has summer vacation. <laughs> yes, for anybody listening, I am a the resident Laker fan, <laughs> diehard Laker fan. So, and with that, you know, we're gonna take a short little break with a word from our sponsor. Hold up. The NBA playoff action is nonstop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. 
That's promo code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. So with our next piece of news here, we're going to steer away from the finals talk. We're actually going to talk about the Los Angeles Lakers hiring Darvin Ham as their head coach, beating out Kenny Atkinson and Terry Stotts, allegedly. John, I want to ask you, how do you feel about this hire and him compared to the other two candidates that were uh, in this race? Holla, holla. I like it. And I think that's just kind of the general consensus. But I do like it in the sense that Darvin Ham was a former player. And this is going to make us feel really old. But do you know that Darvin Ham played against LeBron? What? In 2003, when he was with the Pistons on 2003 to 2005. Like LeBron, I think, was had to be a rookie in 2003, right? Yeah. He was 18, 19. Oh, that's crazy. And Darvin Ham, there's a picture of Darvin Ham defending him. So that's, wow. Bruh. Don't you feel old now? (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, back to the hire. I I think it's, you know, LeBron obviously gave a stamp of approval, but I don't put much stock into that considering his past history of, of, you know, personnel decisions. But based on what I'm hearing from Bucks, you know, I was was kind of perusing the Milwaukee Bucks Reddit. They talk about Darvin Ham highly as an assistant coach. You see former players talk about him highly. I mean, just looking at Ime Udoka's success this year as a first-time coach. He was a former player. So you kind of have, you know, that hope as a fan. I mean, as a Laker fan, that Darvin Ham's going to be able to step in there with his uh, no-nonsense approach, you know, no BS, hard work, former player so he can empathize and understand and, and I, I feel like he's a good X's and O's coach based on what, you know, the interviews were, people were saying in the interviews, you know, reporters and things like that. So I like it. I mean, it remains to be seen how it's going to transpire and how that's going to affect next season. I mean, at the end of the day, right, a coach can only take a team so far. You have to have the players, yes, sir. the talent and the drive in order for it to work. So it's a collaboration. But I think it's one piece in the right direction. Do you guys agree? You want to know something? I hate this hire because it's a good hire. (laughs) Um, I was hoping with all my heart and soul that the great top 15 coach of all time, Doc Rivers, would make his return to the country clubs of LA. Damn you, Sammy. Or that Terry Stotts (laughs) would be the hire. But uh, this is a good hire um, for all the reasons you said. And... They didn't go with the flashy guy. They didn't go with the big name. They went with someone who's going to, by all accounts, has been a hard worker who probably is going to have some different ideas to, well, elephant in the room, figure out what to do with Westbrook, assuming he's going to be on the team next year. Right. Um, And someone who's going to have a fresh perspective. And from what we've talked about the Lakers before, I think the biggest problem they've had in the last decade, and I know they've won a title in in that 10 years, but... It's just that they keep sticking with the same names and the same advisors and the same group. And this is a very different hire than I think what they would have done in the past. And I do think that'll benefit them greatly in the wrong long run. So all, all kidding aside, I think this was a really good move by the front office here. Yeah, Kenny Atkinson is known for his player development and the Lakers, as we all know, they're older in age. Terry Stotts, in terms of what he did with Portland and that talent if you ask any uh, trailblazer fan they 
probably would have said that he underperformed the last few years and didn't adapt to the league and how it shifted. Yeah, the Lakers dodged the bullet there. The <laughs> Lakers dodged the bullet. As a Laker fan, the only thing that I would be worried about about with uh, Darwin Ham is what if he's a, a David Fisdale, just another new coach. The spotlight's too big, and he can't handle Westbrook, LeBron James, and AD. No, they're ignorant. But the first thought when I heard about the hire is like, damn, Mark Jackson, even though he was highly favored to get the job, Hell no. still can't get a coaching gig. Mama, there went that man. Yeah, it's like, yeah. after all these years, and you know, as a, we're Warrior fans here, some of us are Warrior fans, the stuff that has came out in regards to his character behind the scenes, I guess it's taken a toll on his career right now in terms of coaching. So for all you youngsters out there listening, you know, you got to think it's not about what you do with your job responsibilities. It's your character outside of it too. So be careful what you do and what you say, because your reputation precedes you. It's also his color commentary. <laughs> I, I was going to say something like that, too. Definitely, say, definitely a huge part of it. I mean, have, we're, li we're all listening to the same broadcast, right? I mean, it's on the vinyls are on oh my ABC. It's awful. Truly awful. I'm sorry. Yes. You, you don't get think... well soon. Mike Breen and Jeff Van Gundy. I know Van Gundy's very opinionated, but he works very well with Mr. Breen. Mm -hmm. Come back. Yeah. Come back soon. No offense, Ab everyone else. Absolutely. Like, I, I don't know what Laker management is like listening to to him and being like, that's the coaching mind we need. <laughs> like, I don't know, man. But anyway, that is actually all we have for tonight's episode. I want to thank you three for being on. JJ, thanks for being on, man. Thank you, everybody. John, thank you. Go Warriors. Game two, baby. Let's go. Thank you. <laughs> Sammy, thanks for being on, man. Thanks, man. Uh, good luck in game two. And just as a uh, gentle reminder for our listeners in California, the Californians for Solutions to Homelessness and Mental Health Support Measure is going to be on the ballot in November. For those of you who enjoy our great sponsors at DraftKings, this would put DraftKings mobile in, in California where it needs to be. So make sure you support that measure. This is not paid for or sponsored by any political organization, just your friends at the clinic. Absolutely. And shout out to our video producer, RJ, who's putting us on Twitch. Shout out to those who are watching on Twitch right now. Check out our YouTube channel. Remember to rate, subscribe, and review. Like us on our Facebook group page, The Clinic All MBA Podcast, and follow us on Twitter at Clinic All MBA. I'm Rosa Panza. This is The Clinic All MBA Podcast. Come find us wherever you get your podcasts.